Good morning. I am really glad to get to be with you guys this morning uh, and really glad I get to share a bit of the word from Scripture because I'm pretty certain I know more about the Bible than most of you. And I've been in seminary working on my MDiv for over halfway through it now, and I've been teaching Bible and doing Bible studies for over 11 years at Bible teaching and believing churches. Uh, and, and as a pastor who's licensed to speak the gospel, I know that my words are not my own, but they come from God, and so I'm glad I get to share this message with you today on Genesis 37. But before I do that, take a moment to think about how you feel right now. What's going through your mind about what I just said or how I said it? So rest assured, I would never approach my church family that way or anyone that I can think of. <laughs> and so, and I was incredibly uncomfortable trying to figure out how to do that with a straight face. Um, but I think it's a great illustration as we look at our story today on Joseph, the son of Jacob. Uh, so if you were at City Church during Memorial Day weekend, uh, I got to share with you all again uh, that time about how I love to take classic Sunday school stories and revisit them with teenagers and with adults. And one of the things I talked about is the reason I like to revisit them is because when we learn these stories as kids, we use these visual aids. And as you can see right now, the stage is completely full of visual aids because this is, we had VBS last week, and this is how kids learn and retain information. But, but one of the problems, especially in my life that I've found, is I've, I've gotten hung up on some of these visual aids that we get as kids. And, and a few weeks ago, I shared about uh, the story that picks up after the Jonah is spit up by the fish. And then today I want to talk a little bit about Joseph, and we're going to start around the time right after he's given the coat, but we're not going to enter the coat into our story today. And if you're unfamiliar with Joseph's Technicolor dream coat, uh, it's, it's a coat, really the purpose of it in the story was to, to let us know that Joseph was considered one of the, fa well, the favorite of the family, even though he was the youngest, and this caused a lot of division in the family. And it was just one of quite a few things that caused division in this family. And so we're going to see what happens as we pick up after this point uh, in, in Genesis 37. We're going to start at verse 5. We'll have it on the screen, or you're welcome to follow along uh, in your Bibles. And we're going we're gonna to jump going forward, too, and I'll have some references on the screen if you want to make sure what I'm saying is indeed true, uh, because I will admit uh, uh, my words are involved in the sermon. They're not all 100% God's words, but I do pray for the Spirit to be with us today as, as we look at this passage. So let's look at uh, Genesis 5, or Genesis 37, starting at verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We are binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while well, your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Some translations said they hated him because of his words. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, 
what's this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So when I was a kid, I always saw these brothers as the evil, jealous half-brothers of, uh, who were resisting the words of Joseph, who is the bearer of God's message to them. And as a kid, I wanted to relate to Joseph, who was hated and nearly murdered for his faith in God, is how I saw it. However, as adults, when we can go back to revisit this story, we might be able to understand the brothers a little bit more. And not that I'm condoning that you should go hate and murder your younger siblings. Uh, but I think if we look at Joseph uh, with some of our experiences in life, we might understand why he got to this point as a young child. Uh, chapter 2 actually tells us he's not a young child in this point. He's actually a teenager. Uh, and it's at this stage where he's learning to become a mature adult. And here we see the very start of Joseph's story as he's growing in adolescence and progressing into life. So we can also see in this last verse a father of an immature youth. And Jacob is not too pleased with Joseph's manner of speech. We see that he corrects him, he speaks with him, and he doesn't fully dismiss what he's saying as well. This passage indeed, Joseph, this passage indeed shows that Joseph is ha does have spiritual gifting of prophetic dreams. But the boy has yet to learn how to use this gifting in an appropriate way or in an effective way. It almost appears he's going about bragging and he's annoying all of his brothers. But I spend a lot of time with teenagers, and I like to study adolescent development. And so this, this life of Joseph is so fun for me to read because it's, my mind is on this stage of life. And so I don't really believe that Joseph is intending to speak these words out of defiance or some kind of superiority to, to agitate people. But I believe what has happened, and we'll see this in this next section, is Joseph has not stepped into being a mature individual yet. So look at verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you there. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the field. And I love that it says he's wandering. I don't see a vision of him on a mission, going straight, looking for his brothers. When I hear the word wandering, I see this, this young man uh, just kind of sauntering through the field, kind of playing with the grass, checking out the sheep and the goats over there. Uh, but the, the passage says he's 17, uh, and if he's 17, he should be, or even at the point of being an adult, especially at this time uh, in history. Uh, but this looks to be more like, uh, almost more like a preteen or, or middle-aged school student whose the, the brain's not fully formed and neurons aren't connecting quite right, but he, he's past puberty. So we know puberty is not keeping him uh, from being distracted, and puberty's not getting in the way. But what's getting in the way is him being willing to step into being a mature individual. The next section of this passage then shows the outcome of Joseph's immature words and deeds. 
So the man asked him when he sees him in the field, he then asks him, he's like, what, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my brothers. And the man then tells him where to go find his brothers. And as he's approaching his brothers, uh, they see him coming and they start talking to each other and they plot to kill him. They said, here he comes, that dreamer. So Joseph's immaturity with his words and deeds, it gives him a negative reputation. And it's so intense that his own brothers want to kill him. And this, is, this passage is just the beginning of the story, and hard knocks tend to, to make us grow up, and sometimes hard, the harder the knocks, the more we grow a little bit quicker in maturity. And uh, as we see the progression in the rest of the Joseph story, you see this progression of him stepping into maturity, and we're going to look real briefly at that. So I'll just tell you what happens as opposed to us reading the next few chapters of the Bible. I came from a church that sermons were 45 minutes long. I'm not going to put you through that today. So uh, we will get you out of here on time so we can get the next service going. But uh, if you were to look ahead, what you would find is Joseph goes to prison. Because of, let me back up just a second. The hard knocks that he faces, if you're unfamiliar with this story, is that he goes through abandonment, slavery, false accusations, and then he's imprisoned. Uh, and then, now we find him in prison. And because of the way God's working through him and the way he's maturing, the chief jailer notices a responsibility that he can put on Joseph. And although Joseph is still a prisoner, he has him look over all the other prisoners and take care of all the other prisoners. In fact, he trusts Joseph so much that he ends up not even watching what Joseph is doing with his work, even though he himself is a prisoner because Joseph leaned on God and God worked through Joseph. So this is the Joseph who has turned into a man. And this is no longer the boy wandering the field. This is a young man whose actions are speaking rather than his words. His character grounded in God gains him trust in love from others. This type of trust and reputation then actually does something. So during Joseph's sentence, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he arrests his cupbearer and his baker because they did something that offends him. So the cupbearer and the baker, one night in prison, they both have dreams that they find disturbing and they feel that they mean something. And so as they're speaking with Joseph, who's watching over them and caring for them, uh, they talk to him about these dreams. Remember, Joseph has this gifting. And so what Joseph says is, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So Joseph is using his giftings quite differently this time. In 37, we saw, chapter 37, we saw a young boy who is spouting his mouth and annoying people with his gifting. And then in chapter 40, you see a young man willing to listen and care for others. His immature handling of God's message and gift led to experiencing an outcome of hate. And his mature handling of God's message and gift leads to quite a different outcome. So when Joseph learns how to conduct himself as he interprets dreams, this is the outcome that happens. Chapter 41, verse 39 says, and I'll read this directly. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. 
That's quite a different response, right? Before, it was about being thrown into a pit and killed, and he ended up going into slavery. And now he's the vice pharaoh of all of Egypt. So what can we learn as people today about Joseph's adolescence and his spiritual development? So have you ever had a friend or gone to church with someone who may be a new Christian and they were so on fire for Jesus that in the wake of that, they were burning people along the way. They were rubbing people the wrong way just by saying the things that they were saying. Um, Their intentions are well. They're very excited because they found Jesus. But in being hasty, sometimes our words can often do more damage than good. At the same time, one who has been a Christian for a long time can, can do the same sort of damage. Modern human development, developmentalists will, are now saying, and have probably said before too, that human development and maturity is not based on our age alone. That it's by going through different life experiences, doing different things of life, going through different transit transitions in life. And I believe this is the same with our spiritual maturity and our spiritual development and formation as well. So being a Christian for a long time and feeling confident in one's understanding of faith doesn't guarantee spiritual maturity. Overconfidence or a lack of interest in continual spiritual growth actually can stunt spiritual maturity. And just because one has mass amounts of biblical knowledge doesn't mean that they're necessarily an effective communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I find terms like defending your faith or or even the the one that bothers me the most is gaining biblical knowledge as ammunition. I I don't know about you, but I have never met someone who came to Christ because they lost an apologetics argument with a Christian. I mean, I'm not denying or or limiting how God can work, but I have yet to meet someone who came to Christ because they lost an argument. So if we were to look at the more spiritually mature person of Joseph, we could learn that our love and our actions prove our character. And it's not until this point that we can even gain the right to speak into other people's lives. And think about it, you're going to listen to somebody that you care for and trust and love, more so than somebody who's constantly pushing your buttons and rubbing you the wrong way, right? So from Joseph, we can see a way to spiritual maturity by listening and caring for others before speaking. A former pastor of mine would always say, we have two ears and one mouth. Let's use them proportionately. So what if we were to stop talking so much and if we started listening to people? I heard a business leader once say, everyone likes to talk about their self. So the best way to get people to like you is to ask questions from people and not talk very much about your own self. There's a little selfish motivation in this because it's all about getting people to like you. Um, But at the same time, this statement resonated with me. And I thought, how can I continually, because I I do like to talk about myself and share things about myself. But it reminded me to stop and listen to others and ask others questions. And as I find that the more I do that, the more I actually find myself caring more for people. And by showing interest in others, then the people I speak with and I'm with feel more valued and cared for. And at this point, that's when I might be invited to share my own thoughts and feelings as well. So a few months back, uh, one of our own students here at City Church asked me the question. 
uh, said, Peter, if you were a kid and someone, another kid approached you and asked you about your, your feelings and your opinions on a certain subject matter, and you knew that that kid was totally going to disagree with everything that you said, how would you, how would you approach that? How would you handle that? And so what I said, I said, was before answering the question, I would turn it around and ask them some questions about that subject or topic. Ask, why do they believe the things that they believe? What, what brought you to that point of your belief? Now, how does that belief affect your life? And then as if the, the conversation goes on, maybe ask some questions like, how does that belief affect people in your world? How does that belief affect people in your community? Why, why do you think that people might believe differently than you? The, the main point of it is to let people know that you hear them, that you care about them. At least act like you're a learner, and maybe you can even be a learner in this situation. I think as you do this, you'll be surprised at the reactions and the response that you get, and eventually, I hope that this will even gain you trust and respect enough to truly, for them to truly want to know what you think. So if the goal of the gospel is to introduce people to Jesus, we will never get there if we present ourselves with opposing pride. As we enter with humility, we will learn how to grow along the way. As you go forward from here today, think about the conversation I had with this middle school student and think of ways that you can show how you care for others who may not agree with you or they may not even like you. How can your love and your actions bring down negative assumptions others have about you, especially that of being a Christian? Maybe you've already unintentionally rubbed someone the wrong way. How can you make amends with that person? How can you show that you really care? So not everyone is going to respond with trust and respect, but as we put forth an effort to listen and to care for others, the gifts God has given each of us are going to go a lot farther, and you will become a more effective messenger of God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you continually give us the mind of Christ, the words of Christ, and may we exhibit the caring nature that Jesus did. May you transform us in this way. May we always remember to care for your people. In your name we pray, amen.